We are continuing our gospel reading, picking up exactly where we left off last week after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and he was spending time in Bethany at the home of his friends. We'll take it in John chapter 12, starting in the first verse. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he gave two cents about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, When I was eight years old, my mom and her sisters and my grandmother took my little sister Lauren and I out to high tea at the Heathman Hotel in downtown Portland. Uh, This is one of my favorite memories from my childhood, visiting my aunts and my grandmother. I remember Lauren and I, on the day we went, got dressed up in our very fanciest dresses and our shiny party shoes. I still have this photo of the two of us. I'm wearing this green Laura Ashley dress with teeny tiny pink rosebuds on it and then I'm wearing this blouse underneath it that looks exactly like the puffy shirt from Seinfeld if any of you saw that it's like this huge puffy sleeve like ruffled blouse it's a disaster it's very early 1990s and so I remember Lauren and I went with all of the adult women in our family to high tea and we felt so grown up sitting together around these tables sticking out our little pinky fingers as we sipped our hot chocolate and tried so hard not to rattle our cups against the saucers. When I was um, 14, several years later, my family went on a trip and we ended up again with my extended family in Victoria, Canada in BC. And my highlight from that whole trip, two weeks spent with family in Canada, was going to high tea again, this time at the Empress Hotel in the Palm Court. And the Empress Hotel still likes to remind everyone that they once served tea to the Queen of England back in 1939. They love to remind everyone that once the Queen sat there. And we sat there and we had the traditional high tea, strong black tea and teeny little uh, cucumber sandwiches with the crust cut off and we had scones with jam and cream. It was just a wonderful memory. When I was in college, my closest friends and I, we saved up for months, like just absolutely scrimping and saving every way we could. And then one day we put on our fanciest grown-up clothes and we took the ferry up to Victoria, where for the afternoon we again sat in the palm court and had high tea at the Empress together. It was an absolute extravagance for us in college and truly one of our favorite memories from those years together. These memories of sharing high tea with my family and friends, they're some of my most cherished hours spent with other people. 
There are stories that come to mind when I think about um, luxury and extravagance. It just seemed so above and beyond to sit on these little velvet stools, eating from marble tables with like Tiffany glass ceilings over us. I mean, there's something that just feels very fancy about sitting in a room called the Palm Court. You're sort of transported back to the early 1900s. And the thing that's so funny is I'm not usually kind of into this sort of expensive, fancy, glamorous thing. Like, I'm not really a black tie kind of gal. I just, you know, I'd rather sit at home in my yoga pants and have dinner with my closest friends than go out to a really fancy dinner. But these high tea experiences for me have been worth absolutely every penny that was spent because they're so gracious. And the hospitality gave us this memory, not just me, but my closest family and friends of hours spent together with nothing else to do than simply to talk. And these stories came to mind for me this week as I was reading this story of Jesus and his close friends gathered together for dinner in the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And they're throwing this dinner party in honor of Jesus because Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, and so they want to say thank you to him. And the Bible doesn't really say or give us any indication that this dinner was anything special, but I would assume that if I were throwing a dinner party in thanks for the man who just raised my own brother from the dead, I would be pulling out all of the stops. I mean, this would be the best food and the best wine. I would pull out the china. I would wear my finest. I would make sure that this was a dinner party to remember. And I think this is probably what they were doing that night. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, the 12 disciples, and probably some other close friends, they had sort of gathered together to say thank you to Jesus and celebrate this rebirth day of sorts for Lazarus. And it reminds me of those high teas because it shares so many of the same touch points of those memories in my own mind. This extravagant, memorable meal that doesn't come around very often that you're gathered around a table with the people you love most, and you have hours to do nothing more than to just sit and enjoy the company of others. And in the middle of this story of this beautiful dinner party, we have this unique moment that is nothing like what I ever experienced at any of those high teas with my grandma and my aunts. We have this moment where Mary comes forward and she offers this gift. She has a jar and it's full of a full pound of this very expensive perfume called nard. Now, uh, I read this to the kids a couple weeks ago in the story, but perfume jars back then weren't like the spritzy ones that we have today where you just put a couple spritzes on and you're fine. Perfume jars were actually completely sealed. And so in order to open them, you would actually have to break open the jar and you would use all of the perfume in it. They were incredibly expensive, valuable things. And they were generally used for when you would bury someone. It was a way to honor their body in death. So Mary brings this unbelievably expensive jar of pure nard, which is a very expensive perfume, and she takes it to Jesus' feet and she breaks it over his feet and she starts rubbing it in with her hair. In other gospels, we hear that she was crying, that she was rubbing this perfume in with her hair and her tears as she offers this wonderful gift. And you can almost sort of imagine the room going very, very quiet and everything starting to smell like this unbelievably beautiful offering that she's giving. 
that it sort of casts a spell over everyone who's gathered there as they watch this very tender, beautiful moment. And as they pause to sort of breathe deeply and smell the gift that's being offered. It's this image of just unbelievable love and friendship and care between Mary and Jesus. And then Judas, sort of bore that he is, breaks in and sort of shouts out to everyone, oh, come on, guys, this perfume is worth nearly a full year's wages. Why in the world would she waste all of that money? We should have sold that perfume and, you know, given it to the poor. There are so many poor, hungry people. What in the world? I mean, come on, Jesus, tell her off. This was a huge waste of money. And as I imagine Judas speaking, I can sort of see Mary there. Like, can't you just see her face going red and her eyes starting to well up with tears? I mean, if I were in Mary's shoes, I would be so embarrassed. This is such a beautiful thing to offer Jesus. It's a very um, tender and intimate thing to give him. And it's so fragile. And then to have Judas come in and just stomp all over it in front of all these people that you care so deeply about. I mean, I don't even think I'd still be in a, at the room at this point. I think I would have run out by here. It's sort of like as if I were sitting with my sister and my aunts and my mother. And all of a sudden, my grandmother starts screeching out, Why did you spend hundreds of dollars on this high tea? There are hungry people, and we could have fed them for weeks. And you guys are wasting money on hot chocolate and dry sandwiches with their crusts cut off. I mean, it would just be so embarrassing to have someone say that in front of all these people you care about, that what you're doing is a waste and not worthwhile. It's selfish. It's thoughtless. How dare you do this? Now, there is obviously a time we should consider the needs of others. And in fact, as Christians, this is one of our primary callings. We are always supposed to be considering the needs of the least around us. We are not supposed to be people who live luxurious, lavish lifestyles at the cost of others. We're not supposed to be all about fancy watches and like caviar with lunch every single day. That's pretty much like 99% of Jesus's teachings. Care about people who don't have enough. You only need one coat. If you have two, give one of your two coats away. But the writer of this gospel here, the writer of the book of John, he tells us, you know, Judas isn't saying any of this because he really cares about the poor. Judas doesn't care about the poor at all. All he really cares about is that this was worth a lot of money and he could have skimmed off the top of their communal purse if they had saved the money rather than putting it into this perfume. But the writer of the book of John makes this really abundantly clear that this is a story about Mary and about Jesus. This is about Judas who's being a complete selfish jerk. He's heaping shame on Mary in the process of her offering this tremendously beautiful gift. This is a story about friendship and relationship. This isn't a story that we need to be uh, relating to giving to the poor, at, at least at this point in time. It's not necessarily biblical warrant for us to go out and live like fancy, expensive, lavish lifestyles, but this is, in fact, a story that tells us that we should care deeply deeply about the relationships, the friendships and family and people who are closest to us, that we should create memories around fabulous feasting tables together. Now, um, there is a sort of theological overtone to this whole scene that's taking place. 
This is uh, taking place about a week before Jesus will go and be crucified. And so what's also happening here is that Mary is breaking a bottle of perfume on Jesus that would normally be offered over a dead body. It would be used to prepare someone for burial. So this is very much a scene that is about preparing Christ for the trials that are ahead of him this week, for his coming death. There's this idea that she is loving Jesus by preparing him for something that is to come. And that is not at all a one-to-one comparison to the high tees of my childhood. I mean, we weren't sitting around like declaring Christ's death and resurrection around the Peter Rabbit teapots while we enjoyed our tiny treats together. But in the same vein as what we talked about last week, I think in the Gospel of John, one of the great gifts we have is to try to view the humanity of Jesus and not just his divinity, not just see everything through the lens of Jesus, this man who is resurrected, this man who is also God. And when we look at this scene from a purely human perspective, I think we see something really lovely here. We see friends and family, the closest people in the world, gathered around a table together enjoying a feast. We see Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus and these 12 disciples and probably some other folks as well enjoying a late night together with nothing else to do but talk and reminisce and share their stories. They're eating and they're drinking and they're offering gifts to one another. It's really like a pretty stunning scene because it's so relatable to us. Like we know what it means to be gathered around a table with our closest friends late into the night, laughing and drinking and being together. And why it's so beautiful, at least to me, is that in the Gospel of John, this is really the last entirely beautiful image we have of Jesus. There's this little shadow being cast by Judas, like we know he's, we know he's going to betray Christ, but this is really like the last somewhat untainted picture of Jesus and his friends that we get before the events of Holy Week start to unfold. So I think what we are invited to look at and take from this story, <coughs> especially in this week ahead, the week before Holy Week, is that this story invites us into celebration together. This is a story that says, you know, we should more than occasionally look for ways of offering exceptional hospitality to each other, to build these memories of life lived around tables, to create meals and opportunities for us to spend time just being with the people that we love most, Because I think what we'll come to find out is that that is where we come to know Christ most significantly. We know Christ in the relationships that are closest to each other. We come to know Jesus through the love of our parents and our friends, our children, our neighbors. We come to know Christ in those embodied relationships. And then from that love, we're invited to then go outward and be Christ's love to the world. But it starts at this table that we're gathered around together. So in this time leading up to Holy Week, I would just invite us to imagine and spend some time around that table with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. And then think about the places in our lives where we are given that gift and we can give that gift to others. So thanks be to God. Amen.